Yeah, and it was quite funny this week because what we ended up coming out with as a subject wasn't what we were in the Monday's call with. It wasn't on any of our lists. Optimism is, is more of a general outlook on life. Instead of worrying about where I wasn't, I took control of where I was. But I also think if you're always staying in the moment, how are you forging towards the future? Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. The journey continues. Thanks for listening. This is episode six in the first series of our podcast on living the ultra life. We've enjoyed this podcast trip so far. It's been hard work and it's been fun. And we've managed to overcome some challenges and keep pushing ahead into areas that we feel are important to us. We hope that you'll feel it's not just about running, but about our persistent pursuit of a better and more fulfilled life through our running. Last week we talked a lot about adventure and how that's an important value for us and most endurance athletes. Whenever I think about the word endurance itself, I connect that to some of the great historical explorers, people with adventure in their blood and determination and drive in their bones. It was life and death to these people. And in 1914, before Sir Ernest Shackleton set out on the endurance, he was asked about the qualities he needed when recruiting an Antarctic exploration team. He cited four, and he felt that there were also qualities that were needed to move through life effectively. And those were patience, idealism, courage. And the one he put at the very top, ranking it most important of all, was optimism. So this week we're planning to have a conversation about that very quality, how it may help or hinder progress in our training, racing and living. How do we balance that with realism? Where does that become pessimism? And can our understanding of it affect any long-term benefit? As it stands for now, it appears that we may be past the worst of the pandemic, but we are not the same people living in the same world we were just three to four months ago. Should we be optimistic about the future? James and I will talk about that, and we're very likely to have differing views on the subject, so it should be an interesting one. If you're a first-time listener, James is my co-host, friend, pylon coach, badass runner, and all-round positive guy. So listen up, here's episode six of the Pylon Ultra Pod. Hi James, you're a genuinely positive guy. There are rumours flying around that you're actually West Coast American and not West Coast Scottish. Any <laughs> any truth in those rumours? God dang, no way, man. <laughs> that was just to get your American accent, really. Uh, I know, I know. And it sounds like, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like I've come from Australia or yeah. something. But yeah, yeah, I do carry quite a positive attitude about it. It's good. How's your week been going then? It's been, you know, it's actually been really good. So we got the news that we can get out more than once a day now, yeah. which is which is going to be fantastic from a from a training point of view. And I guess that also comes from a place where things are seemingly getting better. And you can obviously look at that in multiple ways, but that progress is coming from a place where I think we are starting to see some recovery in what has been a quite difficult situation. But in terms of where we are, good, family are healthy, I'm feeling good. And I, I can I use the phrase with someone on text message the other day says so long as i've got food in my table and love in my heart <laughs> then i've got i've got a reason to be happy yeah i don't suppose it maybe not change too much for you at the moment but certainly change it changes it for a few of our athletes who are based in france and spain and new zealand you know they have been a wee bit more locked down but i guess you'll still be focused on and getting excited about getting back onto some of your favorite trails potentially and, and some new trails when we finally come out of lockdown yeah, it's kind of weird that we think about it for us in the UK now. It's what eight, nine weeks yeah. where 
all of our runs have been from the front door. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I've got some really lovely trails around me, but there is a limit to what you can get to within a couple of hours, right? Um, even if you're doing big loops. Um, so the idea of being able to go somewhere and run somewhere which you really miss and maybe in the past have taken for granted, it's quite exciting really, yeah, isn't it? it'd be good to get back to some of those trails again, eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. De- just to see some of those big hills and those great glens, how cool is that going to be? Yeah, and find a bit more space too. The trails have been quite busy at where where you live, obviously, because people there's a lot of concentrated people about. So, um, yeah, people are finding trails and getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed they are. But it's also good. I hope, I hope, and and that's a word we'll probably come back to quite a lot today, yeah. I guess. Um, but I hope that the people who have found a exercise habit out of this that it sticks for a lot of them yeah i hope so they're certainly wearing all the gear now so hopefully once they've made that investment they can use it continuously <laughs> or sell it cheap on ebay yeah. um, and hopefully in about the same size as that <laughs> nice one okie doke uh now let's get on to the main topic for today as i've said a few times already we're trying not to have a strict plan in place for the next three months on topics for the podcast we want to be a bit more in the moment about it and be able to use our running, racing and coaching experiences to address some of the common circumstances we find ourselves in. So on a Monday, James and I usually have a call to talk through, uh, to have a conversation about the direction of the next episode. Usually we bash around a few ideas and chat through any thoughts and observations from the week. Yeah, and it was quite funny this week because what we ended up coming out with as a subject wasn't what we were in any Monday's call with. It wasn't no. on any of our lists. But as we started to talk about feedback and the way people had been speaking to us and just how well the concept of adventure had landed with people and what they were looking to do, it became quite clear that the subject we had to get to this week was optimism. Because people, I, I seen a lot of hope coming from feedback from people last week and it got me thinking about how important optimism is in your career in general, but actually at this moment in time as well. So, when we pitched that as an idea, Paul, I think you you um, jumped straight on it, and we we are now here talking about it. Yeah, it was good. We ended up almost in a in a podcast type conversation, and then it was like, stop <laughs> it did. now, let's let's save this. Stop. Uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to this one. And like you'd said in the past as well, there's real benefits for us doing this, you know, because it's made me go and do a bit of research this week and really dig into what optimism is, uh, which is great. And that's probably where my first question lies is is really about um, what is it about someone's attitude that you think makes them either hopeful or optimistic? And we'll maybe talk about those two things separately at some point as well. But um, for you, how, how do you see that manifest in someone? Yeah, um, I think an optimistic person will always lead with a belief that no matter the situations or the limitations that are presented to them they're just things to be overcome rather than barriers that stop them and obviously there's a fine line between realism optimism and pessimism and where optimism at the extreme end can actually be you know running blindly into problems an optimist an optimist for me is someone who can see a limitation a challenge that's been put in front of them and they very quickly move into solution mode about how they'll get round over through whatever that challenge will be. And they always remain motivated to pursue action. So even if things are going to get difficult, they're always kind of motivated to go, I know we can get through this. And that trait comes through and they'll lead others with them. So you want an optimist on your team, whether it be in a work context or maybe a relay or something is thinking, I've got a solution here. And even though I haven't worked out the finer points of it, 
I've got a belief we can get through this challenge. And I love seeing that because it brings, it, they tend to be quite resilient and they tend to be really positive and that energy rubs off on others. Yeah, I guess my initial sticking point when I started looking into it more and digging out some old books and, and looking online was this thing about optimism and hope. And there is a view that they are they are two distinct mental constructs, if you like. Um, hope maybe is this cognitive process that um, helps people to plan and execute a plan and, and drive towards a goal and it helps them to stay committed and um, helps them to achieve their goals even when things get tough or, or other things are thrown in there there's some kind of adversity whereas maybe optimism is, is more of a general outlook on life that things are going to work out in the end rather than maybe being very goal specific I don't know I don't know what you think about that yeah yeah I think yeah and you could kick this one around quite a bit, and I guess we will today, but I was thinking about this on the back of, you know, the distinctions between them, and my immediate thought was, well, there's not a lot between yeah. them. And then I started to think about how often do I use the word hope, and I've already used it on this call, and how often do I use the word optimism? It's quite, you know, I use hope over optimism all the time. I wouldn't sit in a meeting and go, I'm optimistic we'll be able to yeah, achieve that. Yeah. I'll maybe use, oh no, I would hope we can come up with a solution. But actually, how often do I display optimism over hope is very different. And the way I, the way I started to think about this, and I'm I, you know I'm up for debate on this, is is I started to think hope could be maybe be a wee bit more passive than optimism. So hope can be you know oh we've got a problem, but I hope there's going to be a way through this. Mm-hmm. Whereas optimism might be a wee bit more proactive and go we've got a problem, and I'm going to be action orientated to deal with that problem. Yeah. Um, so in in a way hope might look for third parties to help you navigate the problem whereas an optimist might look to third parties to help collaborating through the problem i don't know if that makes sense but that's where that's where my thoughts are starting to go on it yeah that's an interesting one james i don't i don't think there's a clear answer um from everything i've read over the past few days anyway um i i i felt hope was a little bit more goal orientated rather than optimism felt to me like you're just just generally you know a positive person you've got a positive outlook things are going to work out in the end whereas when you have a specific hope it's about a specific outcome in the future potentially yeah i don't know yeah yeah i know no, i think you're right because you tend to hope a thing yeah. than be just like as you say an optimist being the kind of an emotional an emotional intelligence quotient that you lead with you know i'm an optimist that's who i am you don't really say i am hopeful because you would go what are you hopeful about yeah yeah, so I think you're right. I think I think that distinction probably, I think we're we're starting to maybe come up with a distinction there, which is you tend to be hope tends to be about a single outcome or a single thing. So it might be, as you say, I'm hopeful about this, and you get focused on that being a, whether it's a goal or an outcome or what have you, um, and you tend to be maybe be a wee bit more passive about it as well yeah. because you might expect that to come towards you whereas an optimist might be my general outlook is this and when i have to move towards something i do that yeah i guess maybe it's, it. ultimately it's not that important potentially and i guess we'll probably use the terms interchangeably for the rest of this conversation unless we're specifically talking about one thing so like i'd mentioned i've done a fair bit of research on optimism in general and the potential benefits of having an optimistic view on life and on training. And I guess the quote that I've come across about 10 times, if you do any kind of search around optimism or hope or anything, is if you think you're going to fail or succeed, you're probably right. 
which was accredited to Henry Ford, I think, um, which is is a good statement, I guess, to, to cover some of what we're going to talk about. So there's a bunch of research to suggest that obviously having an optimistic outlook has a positive effect on individuals' health and academic and sports performance and relationships, specifically things like happiness. So people imagine future events more vividly. Um, so they have a greater expectation that they're going to happen more quickly um, and they get that warm, positive feeling in terms of anticipating the outcome or, or that event itself. Um, and that's a positive thing, that, that, that time you have to think about, you know, how good it's going to be when you get there is a really positive thing in terms of just your general happiness. And then there's things like you're more positive, you have more positive emotions and better relationships. You have a better mood and morale. So, um people are attracted to that externally they, they tend to have more friends or get on better with people when you've got that as, as a kind of outlook they have fewer negative emotions as an optimist and um, they suffer less from depression and anxiety they tend not to blame themselves when something goes wrong it's something that's happened and they can do something to address that they have better health there's loads of studies interestingly enough that their health is improved be it from a physical or a behavioural mechanism so they've got better immune systems but when you're positive about things going wrong that you can improve and you can get better um, even things that are wrong with you like disease or accidents or violence or anything like that when you're more positive about it it's less likely to happen so you're going to enjoy better health ultimately and then better coping which you talked about already um, they cope better with stress and they take direct action in the face of something going wrong rather than, you know, this is why does this always happen to me? I can do something about that. And then better performance, which is an important one for us, I think. Um, I don't think there's any huge doubts in any of the research that um, optimists expect something great and they want something incredible to happen and they work towards that and that helps them to have that better performance. If you believe that you can do it and it's going to happen, then uh, you're, it's more likely to happen. Um and they're less likely to give up on things, so they're less likely to give up on, I don't know, some kind of training course that they're doing or their education or give up on races maybe. And maybe maybe the people that, I haven't seen any research, but maybe the people that DNF, maybe there's a higher percentage of people who are less optimistic for the ones that give up in a race potentially. I don't know. So I'm keen to talk about how you think people can become more optimistic, James, because it's, it's like... I don't think anybody can argue with the research. We can all go through it and think that, and that makes a lot of sense, but it's not that easy to translate that. So how, how do I become you know, more optimistic in everything that I do? Oh, you just basically buy it from Amazon, get it delivered <laughs> and plug it in. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's all you <laughs> yeah, do. It's that so, podcast over. Thank you for joining. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, see, just before we go on to answer that question, something you said sparked a thought in me there. So I regard myself as extremely optimistic. Yeah, I, w- I would say that about you. Know, you yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, I did actually do um, some work with a sports psychologist, um, and um, it came through as a signature strength of mine. Um, so they could they could rate your your strengths across a number of emotional intelligence quotients, and they would give you that, and that was my signature strength. Yeah. And I wouldn't have identified that because a lot of the times that what you are really good at and really strong at, you don't recognise until it's pointed out to you. But since that was pointed out, I start to see it a lot. And one of the things you just mentioned optimistic people tend to be you know they tend to have better health yeah. or inverse of that is that ill less often and something that always jumps out at me is is the last time i was off work sick was 1998 
and it was because I broke my leg playing football. Yeah. The reason I remember it was 1998 was it was the World Cup final where I knew it was Ronaldo... going to be football. Right? That's exactly. She even talk 90s yeah. and just go back to what World yeah. Cup was on. Football, exactly. It was when, when Ronaldo. It was the World Cup final when Ronaldo had his breakdown before the game against France when France won at 98, and I always remember that. And you'll know um, from coaching me, I just don't miss sessions. Um, I very rarely. I might. I maybe carry a niggle, carry a cold or anything like that, but I'm never on my back. And even if I'm carrying a cold, I'll be like, oh, no, I'll be fine. And that's my start point. And you can't teach that. You can't say to somebody, just think you'll be fine. Yeah. So the lead into your question is, how do you become more optimistic? I think there's there's probably three things. So why don't I talk through, the, why don't we bring the three of them to life? And maybe we just talk about them as we go through. So for me, three keys to being more optimistic. Number one, act like you know it will happen. So you use the Henry Ford quote there. If you think you're going to succeed or fail, you're right. So if you know that that's, if that's something that's a, a trait within optimistic people, learn to act like you know it will happen. But you need to make what you're acting, you'll know, happen something that's progressive and positive. Yeah. Because if you say, oh, I know I'm going to, like I'm practicing downhill reps and I know I'm going to fall because it's a technical trail. Yep, you you probably will. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. yeah? I mean, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I almost think that it needs it needs something underneath that. So how can people, how can people actually change that then without just forcing yourself to say, I'm going to run down this hill and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be the greatest downhill runner ever. How do people get to that point? Is is what I I need to get to. And um, I guess for me. It's probably about asking yourself better quality questions, if you like that classic kind of Tony exactly. Robbins thing, you know, about um, like your mind's a bit like a computer that you maybe don't know how to work. And if you're not asking or you're not running the programs in the right way, then then you're only going to get a negative answer kind of thing. So it's almost like when... Um, people get depressed they focus on the feeling of depression for example so the things that have them overloaded and overwhelmed are the things that they think about so that's the things that they're going to attract that's the answer they're going to get back and they'll ask questions like um what's the point why bother why does this always happen to me and then the quality of that question is always going to be reflected in the answer that you're going to get back then so even if your mind doesn't have a clear answer for that it's just going to make something up so it's going to say um you know it's because you're stupid or it's because you don't deserve it and that's why yep. so instead i guess if you can ask yourself better questions or better quality questions so it might be um how can i use this situation to make things better for me or for others is a good way to do it and a question like why me when you think about it, it's never going to result in a positive response ultimately. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Whereas if you actually ask yourself, how can I use this to make myself better or to make the situation or the circumstances better? Um, it, it usually leads to a more positive action and a driving force to make things better. Um, and you can see that. You can see that in racing. Racing's almost like a concentrated snapshot for me. So, you're in the race and the wheels come off and automatically, most of us, it'll be interesting to see how, where your mind automatically goes because we've all been there. Um, it'll be like, why am I always messing up races? Why does this always happen to me automatically? For for most people probably, um, rather than, well, what can I do to get the most out of this bad period? Or what can I do to make sure the second half of this race 
is something that I'm going to be really proud of. And I'd be kind of keen to to see how your mind works when that happens. So you're maybe, um, I'm trying to think specifically of a race, maybe where you were disappointed or it didn't go to plan. Um, but you have a great example, Paul, and it was before your time, before it, before yeah, I knew you, yeah. um, and and it's actually why I brought part, partly why I brought you on board. Glenmore, um, 24 in 2014. Yeah, I was leading the race, um, and I was cruising. You know, I was a, I was two laps ahead of the field, and I gone and I'm about 100. I've just gone through 100 miles, and I'm I'm going really well. And this was this was blowing my mind. I'd never run this far, and I had never been in front of a race. I didn't know that I had this in me, and it's a trail 24 hour race with some ups and downs and I go around this corner and I, I, I trip over a metal thing that I've ran over 25 times already yeah. but on this particular occasion trip over bang my knee I hobble back around to the lap and I go in to um, speak to the doctor and the doctor says to me I could pull you from the race you're actually okay to keep going but you run the risk of being injured for six months if you stop now you'll be fine in a couple of weeks and that's like, well, there's there's no decision to be made there. You know, I'm not going to run that risk, not just from a a life point, um, from a running point of view, but actually from a family point of view. It would yeah. be it would be very selfish to do that. However, in that moment, I very quickly switched from, oh, that is a disaster. I've you know thrown the race away and lamenting what had happened. And at that point, I swore blind I would go back the next year and I would I would. I would I would want to break the course record and I was way off breaking the course record you know and I don't mind saying that because I think optimists have put some challenging um, goals out there that race that moment instead of looking at what happened to me as a victim I looked at that as a affirmation that the journey I was on as a runner was even better and there was more potential than I had seen to that point and I got you as a coach on board three months later, just as you were starting your journey um, towards the back end of 2014. And um, when you asked me what my goals were for that year, I told you I wanted to break the course record at Glenmore. Yeah. Um, and that's because what, one of the strategies for building more optimism is, is the success you have starts with having a clear vision of what you can achieve, right? And then you call to mind the successes that will help generate the energy to persist to that goal. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, what could be seen from the outside as a failure, I was leading, I fell over, I got injured, I withdrew from the race, and I didn't win it, actually became the platform on which the success would come next year. And I broke the course record at Glenmore by 13 miles that next year, took it from, you know, it's quite a hilly race, 250 feet of climbing every loop. I took that record from 131 to 144 miles because of my mindset. Yeah, I guess that was um, the initial point was a forced circumstance, right? So you you never really had a choice to go on. You could have potentially gone on, but it would have been kind of pointless and, and risky to do that yes so how 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 can you turn it around how can you use your optimism to turn it around quickly in a race scenario so even for example the west island way race when when you weren't leading the race that you went on to win um there was whoever it was in front of you and uh maybe you were expecting to be leading at that point potentially i don't know Um, and how do you turn things around quickly or how do how can you use your optimism to do that so i think one of the 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 key things for me when when you're in a like a challenging situation like that because that is challenging i think the challenge is probably well, the west island way is physically and mentally challenging on, on a number number of things right is is 
And actually, I think it's quite similar to your story when you talked about Robbie a few episodes ago when you when you raced him. Yeah. Instead of worrying about where I wasn't, I took control of where I was and what I could do in order to kind of recast the situation I was in, not as a, um, a failure or a, even a crisis, you know, it's like, oh, I should be further up the field or I should be leading, but rather than saying, I'm really comfortable where I am just now, I feel as if I've got energy to burn, and actually the opportunity for me is, is to just start cutting that lead down. So I started playing games in my mind, with my optimistic mind, to go, right, okay, let's just have those little micro goals that allow me to get those little successes that I'm going to bring back um, time and time and time again. And when I could see whoever was leading in front of me, I would start just thinking about how I was drawing them in and I was visualising, I was visualising me feeling good, them feeling tough and rough. And actually that really, really worked for me. Um, and actually I had to go back to that later in the race because once I got in the lead, I actually went to a wee bit more of a negative and defensive yeah. mindset and allowed, allowed that pressure to weigh heavily on my shoulders until I then went, well, hold on a minute here. I've been presented with a brilliant opportunity and it's within my gift to take advantage of that. So you're always having to flip and flop on that. But I think for, for me, it's just, there's a bit about visualisation and not allowing what is seemingly a difficult situation to turn into a crisis or a catastrophe, but rather... I flipped it to a challenge and went, my challenge now is, is next time I see this guy, I want to be closer. And that yeah. was my opportunity. So I guess ultimately you're asking yourself good quality questions in a way. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and fundamentally, that's what you were talking about a minute ago. Yeah, you yeah. were all quality questions, but not inane. Yeah. So not, not things that can fall either side of the positive-negative divide, but ones that I think can become fuel to your optimism as opposed to maybe reason not to be optimistic. It's an interesting one, actually, and we should maybe come back to it at some point about uh, you actually felt more positive when you were chasing. And then the minute you have this pressure on of leading the race, then it becomes a lot more stressful. And, and maybe you were less positively minded then, which is an interesting one because people don't talk about that very much. Actually, leading a race is, is a difficult place to be, particularly if it's early on in a race, then you've you've actually got much heightened levels of stress Um for the rest of the race when, when you're in that position. But yeah, I just want to talk yeah. about it at some point, maybe. Yeah, I'd much rather be the hunter than the hunted at certain stages in a race. Um, I find that easier to deal with. So closing a gap is much more motivational to me than holding a gap. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, something else I wanted to touch on around this, and it's quite a big one for me, James, and I'm keen to get your view on it. I, I read a lot of... I don't know, spiritual text, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm also very competitive. Um, it's my job and I love racing and I love performing um, and I always try to do my absolute best. So I can see why hope and optimism on that level alone is potentially a huge benefit just on a running side of things in racing. But then I read things like, um, I don't know, even the first noble truth, if you like, of the Buddha suggests that when we feel suffering, most of us think that something's wrong something has to be changed and that's in part because we're maybe addicted to hope um, and we're trying to change or fix that wrong all the time rather than just accept the situation that you're in um, and that maybe hope itself guarantees us some kind of life of suffering right and I know you're cringing at this already probably um, but we always we we're always looking to change the channel to change the song to fill gaps in conversations um, 
to listen to music when we're racing because something's either beginning to hurt or it feels uncomfortable or uneasy um, and that's why we fill gaps in conversations for example so uh, Pema Chandran um, actually suggests a good affirmation would be or instead of a normal affirmation being something like every day I'm training to be better or something that a better um, affirmation would be abandon hope um, and I guess this has been debated for a long time and hope funny enough was the last thing that was left in Pandora's jar right and there's been arguments about was it there because it was the answer to all the world's evils that had already been released or was it there because it's the most serious evil of them all? Um, so I, I feel a wee bit conflicted about this whole hope thing, and and maybe, maybe hope isn't such a, isn't always a positive thing. Maybe we because it is future focused ultimately. And if you believe in this living in the moment and staying in the moment and staying in the moment even when you're racing, rather than being very future focused all the time, which is hope is ultimately future focused, isn't it? It's it's a it's a want yeah. or desire for a, a particular outcome. I wondered if you had any thoughts on that or views, because I struggle with it. Wow. I didn't know that Pandora thing, so I feel like this is an education for me. Um, that that, that <laughs> was really interesting in its own right. So I think I think hope without direction could be as described. But I also think if you're always staying in the moment, how are you forging towards a future? Yeah. So there's a difficulty for me that says you can't actually only be in one mode or the other and actually hope and even in the context that's been described could be one of the most important things that you have when you're in a situation that might seem to use the inverse of the word hopeless um, because it might be the first step on getting out of that moment and even getting back to the moment where you want to be in control of it so I can't see how hope could be what was the phrase absolute evil the ultimate evil um, potentially and I know we're using quite emotive language I can't see how and it doesn't chime with me that but I can see how if not controlled and allowed to roam unfettered hope could actually be it could lead you down blind alleys yeah yeah it really got me thinking now actually i guess i guess maybe maybe the stoics would argue that if if somebody was solely reliant on hope that they they might not be purposeful people they might not be able to action things and do things if if they were just reliant on hope ultimately yeah, um, I agree with that. I agree with that because that's back to maybe that passive and hoping someone else, hoping, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. expecting someone else to take the decisive action for you. Because I think that's where I would differentiate hope and optimism is, is hope you're a passenger, optimism you're a driver. Maybe, maybe, mm. don't know. Yeah, no, I'm coming around to that. I still struggle with the with, with the difference between them and it's, it's, it's ultimately it's probably not that important because they are interchangeable and I guess there are ultimately limits on language and um, words mean different things to different people. They do. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I, I, I tend to struggle with, with some of that stuff around. Um, I, I believe it and I buy into all the stuff that we're talking about in terms of mindfulness and living in the moment. But um, unless you're a monk who's maybe going to live in a cave for five years, then life can't support that almost. You know, you need to you need to have some drive. You need to take control of things ultimately um otherwise you're just going to end up 
in a mess or living yeah. in a cave. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's my ultimate future. It's living in a cave or living in the woods. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eating listen, twigs and berries. I could make you know, I could make a, a joke about that being an upgrade from Paisley, but let's not do that because <laughs> I, I I'll get added again. It'll be worse than Goggins. Um, I'm merely so, visiting. <laughs> I'm merely visiting. I'm passing through. So here's here's a point though. Maybe a question for you then. So we, we have this altruistic and you, you clearly have done a, a good bit of study into it, this altruistic view coming from maybe some Buddha practitioners that hope in and of itself is destructive. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah not, maybe not destructive, but they're, they're, they're suggesting that you can't have hope without fear. And then if you're living mm. across hope and fear, then, then potentially your life is going to result in levels of suffering. I mean, they're not suggesting you're going to suffer terribly the rest of your life it's going to be a terrible a, a terrible time to be on earth but i i can i can get what they're saying if you're living between hope and fear then you're either grasping for something new and better or you're you're fearful that you're going to lose the good situation that you're in at the moment yeah yeah but if you then take as a human emotion fear is one of the maybe one of the most important emotions that we've had as part of a revolution so without yeah. fear, we might not take the preemptive action that's required in order to mitigate risk. So yeah. that's interest. It's really interesting when you start to think about that. So where on the continuum does fear become go from being bad to actually being a useful emotion? And then how does yeah. that then how does that parlay with hope on the other side? Mm. God, mm. we're getting deep here, James. Well, I hope nobody's hoping for an answer on this call. <laughs> No, I, exactly. I should have said that up front, actually. We'll add that later. Yeah, There is yeah. no clear answer on this particular episode, I'm afraid. But I, I would really love okay. to hear what people think, though. So if, if, you know, by all means, get in touch. If you if you have a strong view on it, let us know. But I think I think the point is, is that each individual's probably got their own level of sensitivity to each of those emotions. And yeah. if you go too deep in one or the other, the chances are you're not going to strike that balance, which will allow you to take positive action going forward. Yep. Okay. Now another piece of research, James. I've been Here a little this time um, for a change um, that I came across. It was quite an interesting um, concept that they call optimism bias, right? So it's effectively um, cognitive conditioning, if you like, that we're probably not really aware of. So it is likely the thing that helps us in terms of the stuff that we've talked about already and improvements in health and relationships and performance but it has a potential downside too, right? So a simple example of it is that most of us probably know around 40% of marriages end up in divorce, right? We, we might not know the exact figure, but we can have a feel for that from experiences and what we pick up in the media and stuff like that. So 40% or thereabouts is a statistical fact in the Western world, right? But if you ask newlyweds their chance of it ending in divorce, they'll say they've got a 0% chance, even though we know it's a 40% chance. So there is some kind of bias going on there automatically that that might be the world view, but it's not my personal view. So they have a level of optimism for the things that they can affect that are close to them, even though statistically there's a there's a fairly good chance you're not gonna you're not gonna go full term on your marriage. So I'm sorry for hey, the, well for, that's for good news. I'll let, I'll let Louise know. Um, so I, I think I think we do that, and you can probably think about that in terms of your family situation too. In that we can be optimistic about us and our family, and maybe less so about the world around us. So you could moan and be untrusting of the education system, for example, 
but you still be optimistic that my child is going to be well educated because I'm going to make sure it happens anyway. But I think where it can be less healthy, according to this research really, is that optimistic people can be less likely to take in bad news or indeed have the foresight to plan for it. So a good example I came across online was around our attitudes to the risk of cancer, right? Um, So there's generally, in the Western world, there's a 30% chance that we'll all suffer from some form of cancer, right? And that's that's just a fact, and it's an unpleasant and unfortunate one. So if you ask a pessimist, for example, right, and they they said, I think I've got a 50% chance of getting cancer, right? And then you told them it was actually much lower than that. It's actually 30%. So you're giving them good news, effectively. So then when you ask them again later on, they'll probably say they think they've got a 35% chance of cancer of having cancer right so they're still relatively pessimistic but they've learned they've taken that information on board and they're learning from that however the optimist so somebody you ask them the question for the first time they'll say i think i've got a 10 percent chance of it and you say well actually the statistics show that you've got a 30 percent chance so you're delivering some bad news to them effectively and then you go back and you ask them again in the same way that you did with the pessimist and they would say to you i think i've got an 11 percent chance of it right so they're not taking that news on board and, and adapting anything necessarily. They're, they're putting a, a one point percent point on. Um, so it can lead to this being very optimistic can lead to poor planning is what that's suggesting. Not taking in potential obstacles or bad news. Um, it's been seen in like firefighters who didn't see the way the fire was going to go because they, they were positive about they could control it and then something terrible happened. You see it in um, pilots when they have some kind of catastrophic thing goes wrong with the plane. They're still optimistic about it and they can't really read the signs and, and take the best action. And then I guess we've probably seen it on a huge scale with COVID-19 when you think about it. Um, many of our optimistic leaders um, in this country and the US and everywhere else wanted to just believe that the virus wouldn't impact us, even though the information was all there. All the signs were there from European countries, from everywhere else, from China, that it was going to impact everyone. But we we can't take in that negative information and we can't plan properly. And I think you actually, you see it in races. I've, I've probably done it in races early on, particularly when you're not that experienced, maybe that you go out in a race and you realise that this pace is well above what you'd planned in for this 100 mile race. You're in the first 20 miles, but you're like, this is great. I feel great. This is going to be, I'm going to keep on running at this pace, even though it's more than I've ever done in training, but today is going to be my day. And you're not actually reading the signs of what's going on. You know, you're not really, you're not recognizing that you're going to be lower in energy or you're not recognizing any pain in your legs or that you're overexerting yourself and you've still got another 15 hours to run at that kind of pace and i think it's an important point and i'd I'd be keen to hear what you think about that that if if you've ever noticed that in yourself because you are very optimistic and maybe maybe it does make things more challenging from a planning perspective and, and dealing with with unexpected um interventions if you like yeah so i do recognize that myself and i'll tell you something i was thinking as you were going through that when you said we've got a 30 percent chance of catching cancer i immediately went yeah. to so i've got a 70 percent chance of not getting it you, yeah. you know that, that my, my head went to yeah, oh, what, my what's odds the, are good. yeah exactly you know i'm not so good i would take that and i think it was interesting um how you went through that and i, I actually I have seen my optimistic mindset harm me in a race 
because I seen information that I just assumed had to be wrong. And, and what it was, was uh, I think it was Autumn 100 in 2017. Um, and the long story short was after the race, it turned out, I found out I had a bug. Um, Kaelin had been mm. not well in the week leading up to it and I'd caught it, but I didn't know that before the race. But on the way down the day before, my heart rate, my resting heart rate was about 15 beats per minute yeah. higher, but I just ignored it. I actually assumed my watch wasn't working right. So I was like, yeah, it's crazy so, when you think so about it. So I yeah. switched it off, Paul. I switched off the the heart rate monitor on my watch because I was like, oh, that's going to mess with my head. So right away, I'm not seeing that sign. And then during the race, um, I had a bit of disaster. I was sick 16 times in that race. I think ended up finishing second. It was a total nightmare, and it was just a war of attrition. My optimistic mindset got me through that. It was like, no matter what, I'm going to finish it, and you know, I'll come up with solutions, and I'll I'll, I'll do whatever it, whatever it takes to get through. Um. Meanwhile, meanwhile, um, the optimistic mindset was also doing me harm because the heart rate during the race was much higher than I would expect to see. So I just again assumed the heart rate monitor is not working right. So instead of going, hmm, wait a minute here, Caelan was ill through the week. I was up all night with him one night. He ended up in hospital um, when it turned out he had this viral infection. Is there a chance I've caught that? That never entered my mind because of my optimistic bias. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. it's just a problem I'll get through. So you're 100% right. It that's can be a, harmful. That's an almost perfect example, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I spent about six hours spewing my way along the Thames path and Ridgeway on the back of ignoring that advice and probably should have been pulled from the race. If we'd have known that I was going to be as ill, um, and I, I talked about not being off work and stuff, I was ill in the sense that I had zero energy for a few days, and it all came down to the fact that I ignored that information. Yeah, I guess then it's about finding a balance between optimism and, and realism in, in some way, if, if you're going to be able to adapt well to things that are there and see the signs and read the signs. But then you have that really positive background that you know you can get through anything and you can find a way and, and a solution to any of your problems. Yeah, and it, and it comes back to no single trait is better or more important than any other in the continuum. It's about how they all fit together. So it's great. I think it's brilliant to be an optimist. And I think I actually do think it's one of the number one traits we need in the world today. But it can't, it, yeah, it right. can't be... It can't be what we lead with on everything because if we fail to recognise the realism that optimism can sometimes make us look past, like in that example I've just described, then actually we can run headlong into trouble. Yeah. Like like opening pubs can... and clubs and all of that stuff, or you know, ending lockdown too early. I think that that is a real danger for us just now. Yeah, and I wrestle with that. Well, yeah, there's a there's a huge example in the US, isn't there? Because that's all you get from. Donald Trump is positive. The economy is going to be okay. We're going to be okay. The virus isn't that bad, and there's plenty of um, evidence to suggest that's not quite the case. But um, yeah, it can be quite dangerous. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I I agree. Um, and I say that coming from a place of I need people to bring me back to reality, and it happens in a work context all the time. And someone will say to me, "Yeah, that's great," but just you need to know this. Um, so I give the people who work for me per permission, actually, to use a, um, a derogatory term if I'm being a bit of a D-I-C-K. So you can call me that because that's the safe word that says to me I'm pushing ahead and uh, potentially pushing us yeah. into trouble. So how, thinking from a coaching perspective then, 
um, some of our athletes might listen to this podcast and they might come to us next week and say, I'm going to be really optimistic. I'm going to be really positive about my future. I'm going to be optimistic about my races. I'm going to set myself some really big goals and I'm, that's what I'm going to work towards, right? And you can you can force yourself to say those things in your mind, certainly. And you can force yourself to share those thoughts with other people. And maybe that makes it better and, and helps a little bit. But how do you how do you best manage that then? Because some people might come to you with goals that are maybe unrealistic or maybe a stretch too far. Ultimately, you can tell they're a stretch too far, but how do you best manage that with an athlete? And I, I, I don't have a straight answer for this either. How do you best manage that with an athlete that you want them to be positive and you want them to be optimistic and you want to support them, but you also have to have an element of realism in there too? Yeah. And it can be quite hard to deliver that message. I've had that quite often, actually. And one of the things I try and do is look, maybe take it back from that 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 example. So if someone comes along to you and says, look, I'm going to run a marathon in a ridiculous time, and you look at the training and they're miles from that, you go, maybe that's your end ambition and your you know your end hope or your end um, goal. But we need to think about what the steps are to get to that and try and then bring them back to more yeah. nearsighted um, and more realistic um, steps. And they may well prove they can get there. So if you said to me when I started working with you in 2014 that I would achieved and won some of the things I've done, I wouldn't have believed it um, just because it would have seemed even so far ahead. But some people do come in with that. And I think what you need to do is bring them back closer to reality but not quell that optimism, but try and just help them understand what is within their current gifts of capability and how they what they need to do to build towards that. Because there's nothing like, you don't want to throw water on the, the, their, their fire, but at the same time, you don't want them, you don't want them thinking six months in, I'm nowhere near where I expected to be and it's not my fault. You know, they, they, need, they need to, I mean, you need to help them get to a more realistic view and that's just through good conversation, Paul. And actually, and one of the tactics I use quite a lot is, is when someone comes to me with something, I'll start asking them questions about what they think it's going to take to get there. And very quickly, it can become quite daunting because they realise it's just an arbitrary thing that they've come up with. And when they start to realise yeah. the scale of what they're looking at, it's like climbing Everest. It's like saying, I can get to the top of that. And it's like, well, let's do it base camp by base camp and work our way up. And actually, from the last base camp to the top is the hardest, even though it's the shortest distance, because that's where all the attrition is. You need to know that. Yeah, I I think it's 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 a challenging thing with athletes, like I'd said, because um I I I definitely want to support them, and I don't want to hold anybody back, and I don't want to be putting um water on the fire at all. Um, but I guess from my side of things, then I need to have some realistic conversations with them, because ultimately I don't think, in the most cases, when when they talk about these very ambitious goals, it's not. It's not something that's limited by skill, ultimately, because it's running. And running isn't hugely skills-based, I guess. Um, it's usually limited by the amount of effort and time and commitment you can make to getting better. So I guess that's the first place that I would normally start, is to say, well, that's fine. If you want to achieve that, you need to be willing to commit 20, hour, tra 20 training hours per week solely on your running. And if you can't do that, then it's not necessarily a realistic goal for you. So it's about... It's about understand trying to understand what level of effort they're they're willing to commit to it, yeah. Um, before you can really agree that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, and I think that that's important as well. And everybody has an ability ceiling as well, right? And you don't know where that is until you start pushing the boundaries, and you push the boundaries by how yeah. how much work and effort you put into it. So that that that's perfectly fine and true. But I think there's also a bit where people 
who have got those ambitions, I think sometimes they might also be justifying to you or I or anyone else as a coach or a support the level of ambition they have. And in some ways, it might feel like if I'm not shooting for the stars, you know, you know that old idiom about shoot for the moon, you might hit a star. It's like, actually, shoot, yeah, shoot for the yeah. moon, you'll end up drifting. And if you miss, you'll be drifting in space forever. Um, might be a, a better phrase. Because I think sometimes people come in and go, I need to justify being part of this to myself and to us as coaches by having something that's super ambitious. It's like, actually, you don't. You don't need to show off what you think you might achieve. Actually, show off what you're willing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, what kind of time are we at now, we James? We are at, if I just um, click on it, I think we're at just under 50 minutes. All right. Um, I'll maybe be good to ask, um, just to go back slightly, um, I'm really keen, obviously, and we both are, about making sure people have some useful stuff that they can action out the back of these conversations. So we talked earlier about asking good quality questions of yourself. Is there anything else, like precise enough like that that you think people can do to try and be more optimistic and be a bit more James you know and this might seem strange because the way I talk with with loads of energy but one thing I am really really good at and something I would really encourage people to work on and I'll give a couple of things you can do that is to act calm yeah so when things are starting to go awry you act calm but you've got kind of confidence and expectancy that what you're working on, that you can improve your situation by putting positive emotion over the top of it and not negative. So don't compound a negative with another negative. So if something negative happens physically, I twisted my ankle. Don't then put a negative mindset over the top of that, but actually put a positive one over the top of it by thinking calmly and rationally about what the solution-orientated next step is and not the emotionally-led rabbit hole you might go down as. And and I think there's there's something in that about when you were talking about um, the, the West Highland Way earlier and I was talking about, you know, you kind of, you kind of don't recast things as catastrophes but just look at them as challenges. And I think there's just about, you know, mantras and talking to yourself through that. So developing that capability to be positive and enthusiastic about what your next step is and not compounding negatives with negatives so if you're going to take anything away from this that's the one thing i would ask you to do is is don't double down on negativity things always go wrong they always go and it's the one thing that's inevitable is is in a race something will go wrong what isn't inevitable is how you react to that so if your first thing you do is using some maybe mindfulness and buddha type stuff is, is you take a breath you stop you gather yourself for 30 to 60 seconds. That 30 to 60 seconds and what you do after that can be the difference between hours and minutes. Yeah, I think that's really useful, James. And um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I, my my dad and stuff was really into Shackleton and stuff and he forced a few books on me over the years, which I really enjoyed reading. And in Shackleton's particular, 1914, 15, when they got stuck on the ice floe, effectively, and the endurance was stuck on this ice floe. I think they had maybe seven months or something with this ship that was stuck. And ultimately, the ship was going to sink. It was going to be destroyed because it's yeah. stuck in the ice. So they spent their time, you know, getting the lifeboats off and getting things sorted and whatever. And quite an interesting point, um, Shackleton obviously was worried and stressed about the situation, but he spent his time on his own working out what he was going to do and how he's going to motivate people and inspire people to, you know, to do everything that they could to survive and, and, and 
and be saved ultimately. And uh, one thing like it stuck out to me a wee bit. They had been taking photographs of the endurance before it crushed and sank and whatever. And the photographs at the time were taken on these glass plates. So eventually they knew the ship was going down. So they had to get anything else that they needed off the ship. And it was all essential stuff. He limited what people could carry so they weren't carrying too much. And it was important stuff. So he he, he told them to make sure you, you took the photographs and reminders of home were really important. Um, and then these glass plate photographs ultimately... And people are like, why Why are we taking these? They're so heavy and they're so awkward. His his response was, well, there won't be a record of what we've achieved and what we've gone through to get home if, unless we take these glass plates. And it feels like an odd thing to say, but actually he's putting a load of belief out there. He's saying, well, I've I've got a solution here. I'm going to get us there. And then there's this automatic, this positivity and optimism on the back of quite a small thing. So then I was thinking, well, how could you... How could you use that in your training and racing effectively? And and that is about um, really understanding your why and, and who you're doing it for. And you want to make your families proud. And having reminders of those things is probably quite a useful thing to do sometimes because we get caught up just in the, well, I want to achieve that in the race. And we seldom remember, well, why is it we want to do that? Because, you know, I want to be, I want my wife to be proud of me or I want my children to be proud of me. And I want to feel like I'm, making progress in the community and all those kind of things so maybe that's a good reminder for people that can help you be a little bit more optimistic uh, you know what that is a brilliant a brilliant story and really relevant and it brings me to maybe the, the maybe the, the my last word on how you can develop optimism and how you can help others develop it as well so optimism is ultimately you could argue it's an emotion right um i think i think it is an emotion um and if you're talking it, if you're talking and acting it all the time, you become it. You know, the, you, you know, we are how we act and all that yeah. stuff. But because it's an emotion, it's contagious. So Shackleton in that story there had two choices. His choice was it's all doom and gloom and it's it's over lads, which would which would you know, would have a perceptible impact on people's willingness to apply hope to the situation to find a solution to get home. Um or he could apply yeah. optimism, which then for inspired others to do something great and even that story about we're going to show people how we survived this that that's about you know that's about saying in order for me to trigger the right action i'm going to have contagious conversations that people catch and reflect yeah. back and all of a sudden you're instead of amplifying negativity you're amplifying positivity and you're amplifying op optimism and you get home you're absolutely right james and then that whole thing about the people that you spend your time with is so important. If you're if you're continually surrounded by people who are quite pessimistic about things, then it, the chances are you're going to become yeah, that way as well. Yeah, or you can put it upon yourself to try and help them be less pessimistic as well. We've all we've all got mates mm. and friends who would describe as like social dementors. You know the kind of creatures from Harry Potter that suck yeah. the joy from you. That's right. Um, yeah. But they uh -huh. don't mean to do that and probably don't even know they are. Back to my point earlier, I didn't realise I was so optimistic till I went through some learning and went. Actually, I'm a wee bit too optimistic, and that you know that came through in the story about the Open 100 earlier. And actually, it's about bringing people back to that balance. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't say shun the pessimists because a lot of my best friends are pessimists, but um, certainly slag them and call them dementors to their face and see how they feel would be, <laughs> would be my advice. <laughs> um, Imagine you found out that you people talked about you that way though, and you were one of those dementors. Yeah. I, I would hate that because I'm not, I'm not as um, maybe obviously positive as you are potentially 
but I'm still a very optimistic person and I have hope in things that I do and things that I want to achieve, but I'm maybe not as um I think that's because it's because I lead outwardly. with a lot of extrovert energy as well though, right? So that just amplifies that optimism. Yeah. Um but I think the danger for me, and you see this through how we work on stuff like the podcast and, and, and with the coaching and what have you, the danger for me is my unbridled optimism is a destructive weapon if left uncontrolled. And that's a really important point that I had to recognise yeah. in time. And I'm, I, I use a phrase a lot. I was the kind of guy who if I fell off the Empire State Building, I'd expect a bouncy castle just to magically appear at the bottom of it. Whereas you're the kind of guy that would go, let's not lean over that ledge. That's the difference. Yeah, so it's not that it's not that it's not that you're. Yeah, okay. I'm a wee bit reckless at times, whereas you're a bit more considered than I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's a funny, it's a it's a further conversation maybe. But then on the other side of things, you would you would deem me as taking more risks than you might do, in I don't know where I run or running on ridges and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, but that, yeah, it's an interesting one. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's the personality differences then that you're more extrovert than I am. Maybe I'm an introvert. No, and, and I, I think know. there, though, though, that comes back to is, is in that in those um, bubbles of um, comfort zones that we talked about last week, is, is you, you, yeah. you've you stretched yeah, your comfort zones in different places than me because you don't have just a comfort zone that applies to everything mm-hmm. you do in life. And your physical and environmental comfort zones are way wider than mine. Yeah? Way wider. And mm-hmm. actually, so is your professional mm-hmm. one to take the leaps you've done. And you talked about it a lot on our first couple of episodes um, to set out there to do what you've done but what you would have done is is you've done it more considered than me and i think that's a big difference so we we both probably have really strong optimistic traits but i think you're better at Mm -hmm. planning how to use and weaponize that optimism whereas i'm like right okay where do i put my feet right okay oh i shouldn't have put them there i'll find a solution whereas you find the solutions in advance that's the difference weaponize your optimism is is that that, the podcast title for this week it's very, 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 very Goggins, Goggins of, of you. Yeah. yeah, oh well, that's the, I don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> or a criticism, I'll, I'll ruminate on that. <laughs> so James, if I sent you a fridge magnet with abandoned hope on it, would you put it on your fridge or would you chuck it in the bin as long straight as away? It, um, that's the question. Abandoned hope, all ye who enter here. Um, I, I, I would put it on the side of the fridge out of sight because it was a gift from you. I would feel guilty if I'd thrown <laughs> okay. it away, but I wouldn't want to be reminded of that term. <laughs> Every day, yeah. Okay, good answer. Thank you very much. Okay, Doc, I think we'll finish up there. Just a quick point to note. Um, we've sent out a few parcels to people who commented on the podcast and were read out on the last few shows. We haven't had any questions since, so either you guys are not listening or we're just answering all your questions like head on every time. Um, if you haven't received your buff by the end of this week, can you please get in touch and we'll sort it out? Obviously, things with the post are all a bit strange at the moment, so um, if anybody's sitting there getting annoyed that they don't have their buff, it's either on its way, or if it's not, tell us and we'll sort it out. James, have you got any practical bits Just one last thing, to... Paul. Clearly, um, it is now for me to ask you the last question that wasn't included within our um, pre-chat. Oh, um, yeah. And you, you can hit me with a musical one last week about what I would listen to, and I, I rambled about three different albums. But here's one for you. If you're feeling down, and you're feeling pessimistic, but a bit of despair, what gives you hope and optimism musically? Give me a song that lifts you from the doldrums. Lifts you oh, from musically? the doldrums. Um, 
we've got very different well we don't but not necessarily we don't actually talk about music that much between us funny enough even though we're both passionate about music um i i suspect our tastes are very different even though um there'll be a lot of stuff that you like that i would like and and maybe don't listen to potentially um i have like a really varied taste in music um i do have a fair amount of uh music i listen to that would be classed as electronic music which some of that you would be into and some some wouldn't um so i there are times that i will listen to some stuff that's maybe a little bit darker even when i'm feeling that way and it helps to uplift me helps me maybe to connect to my feelings a bit better I love um, John Hopkins. I don't know if you know yep. him. Um, he's had some amazing albums and um, I listen to that quite a lot. Maybe if I'm feeling low and I'm going out for a run, I can stick that on. And I actually love it in particular when the conditions are quite poor outside. It's windy and it's maybe wet or something and you're running in a forest and this is in your ears and it just helps me to connect to my feelings. And, and then... I feel better on the back of that. I feel like there's some positivity when I get back home and I, I take those headphones off. Um, so I don't know. It's a bit of an odd answer, maybe, but I'm an odd person. <laughs> and I don't. I think that's actually a really, really, really good answer. And I feels. I feel like I want to go and look up John Hopkins. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a commitment to do that after me doing my every street challenge last week, and and I got that done as well. Um, and it's good because the three answers might have been on the subject of the conversation we've had is Give Me Hope by Eddie Grant, but I didn't think you would have come up with that. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Grant, classic. Uh, yeah, I might go and yeah. listen to that tonight, James, after this. Excellent. Cool. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share it on social media. We'd love to have many more of these conversations on living the ultra life where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I'm still here. It is the end of the podcast, but I feel I should take this opportunity of one more minute of your time. So thank you for listening. So as I've been running this week, I've been thinking about the situation that I'm in personally, which is far from ideal. I'm currently stuck in an old house in a place that I thought I'd left last year. I'm missing friends. I'm missing my dad. I'm worried about my mum. And then I remembered something that I'd read a few years ago, and I asked myself a simple question. What has to happen for me to feel good? And I'm sometimes guilty of placing conditions onto that. If I get back home, if I get to race this year, if I feel fitter than I did last year, if I get to hug my mum, if I get to be with my friends, if I find love, if I have enough athletes doing well to earn a living, if I feel like I'm making a difference or I'm seen, respected or loved, if I matter to someone, then I'll feel good. And that's what we do. We spend our time saying, if that happens, then I'll feel good. The uncomfortable truth of it all, though, is that nothing has to happen for me or for you to feel good. All you really need to do is give yourself permission. You can feel good for no reason at all. If you were the type of person who's excited and motivated by money, and let's say you finally make a million pounds, it's not the money itself that gives you pleasure, but the fact you've hit that mark you set yourself of being a millionaire. You've finally given yourself permission to feel good. And in that moment you decide to feel good, you signal your brain to change responses in your muscles, your breathing changes as does the biochemistry within your nervous system, you feel pleasure. Now I'm not saying that you should ever give up on trying to achieve your goals or working hard to reach a target, just that we have an opportunity like never before with everything that's going on around us 
to understand that if we structure our lives in a way that happiness is dependent on things that we cannot control, we are always going to suffer. So maybe you can make a better choice each day. In lockdown and in the chaos, you can decide for yourself exactly how to feel. And maybe you can choose freely to feel good. I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Boom.